And yeah, you you live over there in the uh, comparatively biking utopia of Minneapolis, <laughs> over in St. Paul. Oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. I forget about St. Paul. <laughs> Welcome to The Extra Dimension, the show where we explore ways technology intersects with other parts of our lives, which we like to call the technological convergence. I am your host, Ian Arbuck, and today I am joined by Melody Hoffman to talk about the challenges and solutions of daily biking. Find the show notes for this episode of The Extra Dimension at thenexus.tv TED45. Now, uh, I would like to make a quick note right here at the beginning that, yes, uh, a couple years ago, we did uh, a different episode about cycling here on The Extra Dimension. That was uh, The Extra Dimension number 13. Uh, and in that episode, we covered a lot of the reasons to for people to bike uh, and also ways to design bike-friendly cities. So we will not be covering those topics here in this episode. If you want to hear about those, uh, go back and listen to The Extra Dimension number 13. But before we get to our conversation with Melody, I have a few thoughts from the bicycling community to share with you. Uh, I went into a few online uh, spaces that uh, focus on biking and asked people what kinds of things about biking uh, do the cyclists wish that everybody knew. And I got quite a few responses. Many, many, many people complained about driver's behavior. Um, which really goes to show that like a fear of getting hit by a car is the biggest barrier to biking. Another theme that stood out to me is that there are a lot of different kinds of people who bike. Um, there were several different kind of conflicting uh, views that I noticed. Um, Risa Husted said that uh, many of us are biking by choice and that we're not looking for a ride. That's definitely true for me. Um, but on the flip side, Jessica Westgren said that many cyclists also own cars. Um, and then Ames Yoder uh, made the point that many people who ride bikes do ride because they actually can't afford to do otherwise. And these people are worthy of respect and their needs as road users are not less worthy than those of people on $5,000 road bikes or in cars. Our public spaces, including our roads, should serve people of all income levels and ability levels. So, yes, snaps to that, definitely. Dan Marshall, I think, had a very specific incident in mind when he uh, said, don't jog in the bike lane. Um, I believe he had recently uh, been going along on Summit Avenue and encountered somebody doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jen Woods Antila says that uh, in cities with bike share systems, you don't even need to own a bike to commute. That's a very, very good point. Um, though I will say that like bike share systems are a little less easy to use than like a car sharing system, simply because of the fact that um, bikes come in different sizes according to like what how tall you are uh and so a bike that is uh feasible for me as a 190 centimeter tall man might not be uh feasible for everybody and uh so yeah for that reason i, I think um owning a bicycle is uh still pretty desirable 
Amanda Harvey makes the note that you can get to know your city better by biking. Um, the routing is different than if you were driving, and you are going slower, so you can notice details about the places that you pass through. That's definitely true. I've also noticed that it's a lot easier to just kind of spontaneously stop and, and participate in something that you are passing by. Jim McGuire clears up some confusion about uh, how roads are paid for. Um, a lot of people are under the impression that like uh, roads, um, the money comes mainly from like gas taxes and things like that. Um, but bicyclists do pay for roads via property taxes because yes, in many, many cities, um, St. Paul included, uh, yeah, our, our, uh, our house taxes, property taxes are what goes to maintaining the roads. User Turbo Rally says, use Strava to track your rides because racing against yourself can be a great motivator. Um, I would also like to note that using Strava can also help you track the wear and tear on your bike. Um, I have been using uh, data from my Strava um, trips in conjunction with a spreadsheet that I've made of all of the uh, trips that I've made to the bike shop to get my bike repaired to kind of, you know, keep track of how long can I expect um, my next chain to last, my next cassette to last, how long do I typically go between, you know, having to get new tires, etc, etc. User Burzo Curveni says that you get to hang out with yourself when biking and have fun with that person, which is just like the, the most beautiful poetic way of putting that I think um and I also like I get I like getting to hang out with my favorite podcasts as well as hanging out with myself while I bike so there you go and finally user PNW Doug says that being comfortable on your ride is way more important than being in shape definitely 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 that a hundred percent because you really don't need to be pushing yourself very hard in order to you know go at a decent pace on a bike um but if you don't have like your seat adjusted properly if it's too hard or if it squishes in the wrong ways then yeah you'll be suffering no matter how in shape you are so melody hello uh, you uh, have been biking for, I think, quite a bit longer than I have as, like, your primary form of transportation. Um, and you've also seen this as, from, like, the academic side as well, right? You've done a few, like, studies uh, at the university level re regarding biking-related stuff. Yeah. I started biking as an adult in college in Milwaukee because I realized that it was quicker to get to school that way than driving my car and trying to find a place to park. And then when I got all the way up to my PhD in Minneapolis, I decided to do my entire dissertation on bike advocacy, but looking more at how racism and gentrification and classism gets um, interwoven into some forms of bike advocacy. Not our topic today, but um, I've done studies on that. And then I've also looked a lot into how law enforcement interacts with bicyclists through citations and, you know, kind of thinking through whether law enforcement is the best method or one of the best methods to get bicyclists to change their behavior and drivers to change their behavior. Again, not topics that we're talking about today, but that's some of my academic background. Yeah, and and definitely definitely good stuff to understand, um, but not necessary if you just want to get out there and uh, and bike on your own. I will say that in my research, um, 
you know, African-American, African and Latinx people are often harassed by the police. And so sometimes that is a barrier to getting people out on bikes. So one challenge that we're probably not going to talk about much as middle class white people is fearing law enforcement or fearing being very visible. If we were undocumented or had a warrant for, you know, for something We'd be talking about this a little bit differently in terms of our relationship with the police. So I just wanted to throw that out there because it does, unfortunately, in this country, race does impact how you're seen in the in the public. And when we're biking, we're very visible. And I know we often feel very vulnerable. And if you add a marginalized race to it, it gets, you know, even more tenuous. Yeah, yeah. Kind of it's kind of the inverse of a few comments that I saw from people online where they were talking about like ways to avoid looking like you're a cyclist after you've gotten off of the bike. Um, but in this case, it's like because of our perceptions of race, you know, like black people who are on bicycles aren't perceived as like true cyclists, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're often seen as um, suspect Pe- police and, you know, white citizens will be like, I think that guy stole a bike, you know, just because he's black and he's riding a nice bike, you know, so there's lots of lots of layers to all of that. Yep. Yep. Uh, Okay, so the first challenge that I have heard from a lot of people is not feeling safe while out on the roads. Um, That's definitely, yeah, like the number one thing, even from experienced cyclists that, you know, you hear people complaining about, um having to deal with with cars and, you know, the fear of getting hit by cars and stuff like that. Um, So I, I, yeah, a few things that I have found that really, really help is, number one, like, building up your knowledge of how bicycles interface with the rest of, like, the the road. Um, I think, you know, more than any equipment or or anything like that, um, just knowing knowing how things are supposed to work is going to help you a lot. And to piggyback off of that, I would also say just knowing your rights as a bicyclist on the road. So like you do have the right to a full lane of of like a what we think of as a car lane at mm-hmm. any time. If there's a bike lane, you know, you're supposed to be using the bike lane and you're supposed to be over to the right as far as possible. Um, but you still get like a fifth, a three foot. That's uh, depends on your city, but like three to five feet away from a parked car as well for your safety. I think sometimes when bikes or people just start to learn what their rights are on the road, they can start to feel a little bit more confident. Um, so make sure that you're aware. I mean, just remember that you have the right to a full lane. Doesn't matter what the drivers say. It's your legal right. And yeah. it makes you feel safer if you you take up that space. Especially when you're like about to take a left turn. You know, you have to take a, a lane in order to get over there. Uh, you know, to be able to safely take a left turn. Yeah, it's not safe to stay in the bike lane and try to take a, I don't even know what that would be. The safest way to be a bicyclist on the road is to behave like you are a vehicle. So mm-hmm. going over to the left lane, ob- obeying traffic lights, stop signs we can talk about, you can roll through those, but like be predictable. And the way, the best way to be predictable is to just use the same rules that you know about being a driver as a bicyclist. And that's what the law expects you to do as well. Yeah. And signaling. Signaling is a big part of uh, being predictable. <laughs> yes. And how do you signal, Ian? Uh, I or what am, do you signal for? I, I signal for primarily turns. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, doing group rides is so, so helpful to feeling more confident on the road. 
Yeah. I would say contact bike shops and they usually have connections. Also, if you identify as trans women or femme, uh, Grease Rag is a really helpful organization that has, they run a lot of different rides, including um, POC only rides. So if you identify as a person of color, that is also woman, trans or femme, they have a ride for you. So there's a ride for everybody, um, especially in big cities, just contact your bike shops. Uh, and those are super helpful. I, I did that all the time when I lived in Milwaukee, when I first started riding, even riding around with two or three other people, it just gives you a little bit more confidence when you're learning how to ride around your city. Um, as for equipment that you can get to be safer, uh, helmet, of course, that's the big one. Um, I like to wear a high visibility vest, uh, when I'm out and about, um, which gets pretty interesting when I like go grocery shopping and then people in the grocery store are asking me questions about where stuff is. Um, I am not in fact an employee. I think that's amazing that people think that you work at grocery stores. Um, I also think that people will think you're a nerd, which is great. Um, some people will, but it's, I feel like much more confident when I have those nerdy things on like a high vis vest. Um, and also if you ever want to do some reconnaissance and like do some graffiti or anything else illegal, you just wear a safety vest and you can get away with anything. So, yeah. <laughs> and they sell them at Ragstock. Which is strange. You don't have to go to a cycling bicycling store and pay like 50 bucks for a high-vis vest. You can find these things in malls and Aldi has great um, access to helmets and lights. They sell those. So, mm. Right. And and I you did remind me that one of the reasons I like using a vest instead of getting like, you know, some bike specific, like really bright jackets and stuff like that is I can wear whatever the heck I want. And then just put the vest over it. And then when I get to a place, I take the vest off and I put it in my bag. And then That's I'm, really it, smart. you know, yeah, it's just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, sunglasses, I would actually categorize as a safety thing as well. Um, for a couple of reasons, they help you see through like glaring sunlight, um, but they also help like keep the wind out of your eyes so you can keep your eyes open more often. Um and I, in particular, really like my pair of sunglasses that have interchangeable lenses. So they've got, like, just a yellow-tinted uh, lens that I can wear at night. Um, <gasps> really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I need those just for general life purposes. Speaking of writing at night, lights. Lights are you super You have to have important. lights. Yeah. Like, helmets, I understand the arguments for and against. We're a pro-helmet podcast. Lights you have to have them. It is so hard to see bicyclists when you don't have lights on. It's and like also, a it's necessity. hard for you to see stuff. Yes. Like if, if you don't have a good headlight, then, I mean, potholes are yes. going to be 10 times worse. <laughs> Especially in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. But how do you deal... Because lights can be very expensive. Like the yes. lights that can really illuminate the road. So there's like safety ones, you know, like cheap 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 ones you know will get be enough for you to be visible to other people and other drivers mm -hmm. if you're going to be dr biking at night a lot and you need like what ian was saying like pot you need to look out for potholes and other weird things in the street i say invest i don't know what 30 40 bucks in a, in a front light yeah yeah i have um a, one that outputs like 500 lumens and that was like 50 bucks um so i definitely don't leave my lights on if I'm going to be locking up my bike somewhere for an extended period of time, I just take them off and tuck them in my bag. Yeah. Yes, do that. <laughs> it's it's one extra little thing, but like, you know, it, it 
makes it so that you can bike at all times of the day and you're not just like limited, especially in the winter, you know, to the daylight hours. Yes. And same with the helmet too. If you don't want to bring your helmet in to wherever you're going, you can hook your helmet into your lock when you're locking yeah. up just as a, mm-hmm. a tip. Um, Google Maps, uh, I would also argue is yes. like a, is a safety thing. You probably know that it can like route you around on a car and, or like you can, you know, choose transit as an option, but way, way over on the right, there's bicycling. Uh, and Google has surprisingly good data, uh, for a lot of municipalities on bike friendly routes, um, in like not just off street trails, but also they know like which streets have bike lanes um and even like which streets are low enough like vehicular traffic volume that even if they don't have bike specific infrastructure they'll be safer for you to bike on uh and so yeah i use google maps every day uh to navigate my way around um and yeah like also having a a phone mount uh on my handlebars so that i can have that turn by turn directions like visible in front of me very very helpful so i don't accidentally like miss my turn and of course with any kind of directions i will say don't trust them fully like google maps has led me astray in a few places especially around north minneapolis where just we are forgotten about in numerous ways sometimes google maps (laughs) doesn't get that like glenwood avenue is closed right now and they're still Mm -hmm. rotting me through glenwood um, which is, it's cool because sometimes when roads are closed, because the nice thing about bicyclists is that like, we don't always have to follow the rules. So we could be on the sidewalk if there's a road that's closed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Google maps kind of like gives us that ability, but in this case you cannot access the road at any rate, just be careful about that. And then in terms of having, if you don't like looking down at your screen, um, Bluetooth speakers now are really affordable. And mm-hmm. so sometimes what I do is I don't have my phone out, but I'll have the directions um, on my speaker. So then it'll just tell me that way. So if you don't like looking down at a screen, you can always get a Bluetooth speaker. Also helpful because then you can listen to music and music makes biking even more fun. Yep. Yep. I, I uh, go the route of having some Bluetooth headphones and uh, and I just have like one earbud in my right ear. And then I leave my left ear open so I can hear traffic. Um, Always do that. You yeah. wouldn't suggest putting both headphones in. No, that would that'd be really dumb. <laughs> you really need to hear it. The, the thing that you'll realize once you bike more and more is that you use your sense of hearing so much on the road. Mm-hmm. You can tell. Can you tell, Ian? Like, I feel like I asked you this before, but like a car, you can tell how fast a car is coming, just how it sounds behind you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy's not going to give me any space. I bet you three, two, one. It's like, yep. <laughs> so use, yeah, you need to don't have both headphones in. Very important. Yeah. And we actually, uh, on uh, a, a related show to the Extra Dimension on Second Opinion, uh, I've been reviewing a few different um, headphones. And one of them was bone conduction headphones, which kind of like rest on your temple area in front of your ears. Uh, so you can still hear everything around you. Um, it doesn't isolate you from the world, but you can also hear like what the what the little headphones are saying. That's cool. How much are those? Two million dollars. The ones that I was testing were ninety bucks. Um, oh, that's not too I, bad. You know, it occurs to me as we talk about all of this equipment that you can be getting to make your time cycling easier uh, that it might be really useful to have some uh, reviews of specific pieces of equipment that uh, that I've used. Um, so if you're interested in uh, seeing some 
biking specific um, reviews over on Second Opinion, uh, let us know, and I'll make sure to get a bunch of those on our uh, on our list. Uh, one one more thing to talk about with Google Maps um, in the winter time, especially. I think I might start doing instead of like bike routing. I'll tell it to just have me like. I'm a car, but avoid highways um, because a lot of the like bike specific paths and stuff during the winter are not plowed uh, as well as roads are. So I think I'm just going to have to make that concession like, okay, just put me on a road and and I'll deal with it. I would counter that by saying it depends because Mm -hmm. when I was biking to the U from uptown, so that's a good chunk of, you know, five to seven miles. The, in my experience, the Greenway, which is a path that goes east and west through our city, that yeah. got that got plowed before the side streets did. So I think it depends. Take a look at what your bike infrastructure is around your house during the wintertime and see like what the schedule is for the plows. But to Ian's point, riding on the main drags is very safe in the winter because there's so much car traffic that a lot of the snow gets cleared that way as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you you live over there in the uh, comparatively biking utopia of Minneapolis <laughs> over in St. Paul. Um, yeah, I, I ended up trying to oh, go- Oh, that's right. On... I'm so sorry. I forget about St. <laughs> Paul. Um, so speaking of the Minneapolis-St. Paul divide, oh, yes. uh, living in an area with good bike infrastructure, like that is a choice that you can make. Um, and if if you want to live in an area that doesn't have the best bike infrastructure, you can get involved and push your city and county to build more bike infrastructure. You know, look around, see if there's something like um, the St. Paul Bicycle Coalition or uh, Minneapolis R Streets um, in, in your area and uh, start advocating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like we said, like if you feel really, really unsafe on a road, it's usually legal for you to bike on a sidewalk. Um, but keep in mind that like, if you're going faster than a pedestrian would, it's probably safer for you to be on the road. Yeah. The, but- the few times that I've had run-ins with cars, I have not been following the rules to the road. Like one time I was mm. on a sidewalk and then the second time, instead of taking, instead of taking the lane to take a left turn, I went way over into the opposing lane's traffic, you oh. know? And again, drivers don't see you that way, right? They're not thinking that a bicyclist is going to come around the corner. So I know sometimes it feels safer to be on the sidewalk, and I'm not going to deny anybody's experience. I would just like to say that it's perhaps safer on the road than you might think, um, especially if you use your rights to the lane. And also you could think about a different road to take if possible just go down one block and usually you can find a a a safer and more chill street yeah yeah um yeah use use your best judgment in any given situation that's Uh, another challenge that I've heard is that um, bikes and bike equipment are expensive. Um, yeah, we just started talking about it, headphones and lights and locks mm-hmm. and helmets. Like, what are we up to here? You know? Yeah, it, it's yeah, and and definitely when you're like shopping around for a bike, it is important to keep in mind the prices of the additional things that you're going to be buying for it, right? You know, because a, a a bare bike with with none of these add-ons on it uh, is going to be, you know, a significant fraction of the price, but it's still only a fraction of the price. Um, But yeah, you don't don't have to get like, you know, the 
the racing grade uh, road bikes, and you know you you can you can adjust the the price to fit most budgets. Um, also consider that like if you are going all in and you replace your car with a bike, then you can definitely afford some really really nice bike stuff uh, for for less money probably than than what you're saving by not having a car. Um, and this is actually one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode uh, this summer is because I have had my current bike for exactly one year. Uh, so I went and did uh, you know some math on on how much I had spent on it. And in total, it came out to be about $1,600, um, $1,200 of which was just like buying the bike and all of the add-ons in the first place. And that's a very uh, footnote. That isn't a very expensive bike. Yeah. So if people are like, I have no, I do not have $1,200. Let me tell you, you can get a good bike for three or $400. Yeah, So definitely. Ian can continue, can continue with his math. Sorry. It was just, that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's expensive. Yeah. I, I was going from, yeah, in high school, like my first major purchase was like a $400 mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I bought that because I thought like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a hardcore like mountain biker, always off, off road, yada, yada. And then I became an adult and I'm like, I'm just commuting to work every day. I, you know, <laughs> and so finally, uh, finally got around to actually getting like something that's more, more worthy of the road. Um, yeah. So, so then, you know, that leaves like, I've spent about four hundred dollars on maintenance over the course of a year, which is you know, really not bad at all. Um, and if you've been riding your bike, you know, just recreationally, it you know that might sound absurd. Like, wow, four hundred dollars to maintain a bike for a year. Um, but consider that, like, when you're riding it every day for your basic utility, like you're going to be putting way, way more distance on that thing than you ever would just by like taking it out once or twice a week to go around Lake Phelan. Um, so we can compare this price to something like, you know, if you just use uh, public transit here in the Twin Cities, uh, Metro Transit's like um, 31 day passes. If you get 12 of those, that'll be $1,100. Um, cause I, I think those are 90 bucks mm-hmm. each. Um, if you buy a car, of course, this is going to be highly variable as well, mm-hmm. but like, uh, you know, my understanding is you, you're going to be spending a few thousand dollars at least to get like a decent car that isn't going to break down on you. Um, and then like gas can be $40 a month or so. Um, insurance is like a hundred bucks a month. That's not even, I don't even know how much maintenance for a car is, but it's got to be more than a than a bike, right? Well, oh, it's so much more than a bike. I mean, you got to get an oil change at least every three thousand miles. Mm-hmm. So, it having a car is very expensive. And even yeah. if you have a car, if you can even cut out one or two trips using your bicycle, that's saving you money right there as well. If money is something of a concern to you, um, and of course, the more trips that you can cut out from your car, the more money you'll save. But it is having a bike is very I think pe- why do people think it's expensive, Ian? What's where's the misconception coming from? Um I I mean I think that the misconception is coming from the fact that like the the most visible part of bike culture is the hardcore nuts who yeah, go all in on the equipment and, you know, bike it at 35 kilometers an hour uh down the street and um you know, you see them and they're, they've got like a carbon fiber bodied bike that's super light and it costs like $7,000 or whatever. Man, I saw some crazy bikes on the MS-150. Whew. I'm sure. I'm sure. I can't, yeah. And those are all just very expensive. And 
not needed to be yeah. a utilitarian cyclist if you just want to get around the city. Yeah, yeah, no. Although some people on the flip side, when people ask me about used bikes, they only want to spend like a hundred or two hundred dollars because I'm I'm thinking they're thinking, okay, when I was a kid, bikes cost like basically nothing. So as an adult, right. what it's probably gonna be a hundred or two hundred dollars. And what I say to them is there's a sweet spot that you have to figure out. But sometimes buying those really, really cheap bikes, they're going to break often. They're going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be things wrong with them. They're going to be older. And so if you can save up some money and get a, you know, a three or $400 bike, you're going to love it. And you're just going to end up riding it more. So that, that's my, that's my thing about cost. How do you feel about like, yeah, I think I think that amount. yeah, three or four hundred dollars is a, a good general rule, probably for like the the base price um, that you would want to look for, and yeah, just just generally like having a bike that isn't going to s- slow you down, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I as a person, I want to be the slowest part of a system, whether it's my bike or my computer or whatever, right? I want. Oh, I like that. I, yeah, like I want it to be waiting for me, not me waiting mm-hmm. for it. Um, and that was like that was the big change when I went from a mountain bike to a road bike. Was like, oh my gosh, oh I actually really really enjoy this now. Um, of course, I liked biking before, but now it's like I can't not bike fast. Right. <laughs> when I'm on this thing, it it encourages me to just push myself a little bit harder Mm -hmm. so yeah the price of a bike build can really get as large or as small as you need it to um and really the important thing is that you just find a bike that is going to be good for your particular needs right if you um you know have a, a more sensitive back you might want a recumbent bike if you're going to be hauling a lot of stuff, a cargo bike might be good for you. Um, if you are going to be biking like longer distances or trying to go, if you need to go faster, then you can uh, feasibly go without some assistance, then an e-bike might be great. I really do believe that e-bikes are a great solution for like 85% of people uh, to be able to replace their cars with a bike because they are just so much more efficient than a car, but they still give you enough assistance for you to be able to go long distances at uh, you know a, a relatively uh, high speed and, uh, and to you know live your daily life uh, without a car. When I was shopping around for my new bike last summer and I was thinking about, you know, what kinds of what kind of bike was I going to want? I seriously was considering getting like a big old cargo bike because I knew uh how much like stuff I haul around on a regular basis. Um but uh then I remembered that oh yeah, I also do end up uh taking my bike on buses and on and on the light rail on a fairly regular basis. And so uh really a a traditional framed uh, safety bike was really the only way for me to go for that. I think it'll be less frustrating if you get a decent bike. And also in terms of maintenance, you know, when you get a flat tire on a car, it's to fix it a hundred, you got to tow it. I mean, it can be hundreds of dollars. Oh yeah. If you get a, I couldn't believe this when I had it, when I had a bike as, as an adult, when you get a flat tire, like they can fix it at the bike shop for like 30 bucks or you can do it yourself. You can, you know, take the tube out and yeah, fix your flat. Yeah, a new inner flat. tube costs like $7. Yeah, it's so, after you have a car, 
and then you go into a bike shop and you get things fixed. It is so cheap. It is so cheap. Mm -hmm. And so if you just make that initial investment, the bike is going to last you a super, super long time. And then if anything goes wrong, the cost is so minimal to fix. If you bring it into bike shop and so many bike shops are teaching people how to do their own maintenance and there's books out there that you can do it yourself and it saves even more money. So the affordability thing, I hope we've the way that we've talked about it, we've debunked any kind of myths, Um, but it is a very super affordable form of transportation. And that's how the technology has been since it was invented. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of mechanical troubles, mm-hmm. yeah, that's another concern that I've heard people talking about is like, what if I have mechanical trouble while I'm out and about? Um, and yeah, once again, this is going to be a much more of a concern than if you are riding recreationally, because when you really start putting on uh, more distance, like it's more likely that things might go wrong while you're out there, right? Um, so I always have like a basic repair kit with me. Um, I just have a little saddlebag that, uh, that hangs underneath my seat. Um, and in there, I have a spare inner tube, uh, some tire hooks, a patch kit, which I only use for emergencies. Um, I used to, I used to be of the attitude that like, oh yeah, I'm gonna use patch kits all the time so that I can like get the most, you know, because yep. I was like, I don't want to waste rubber. Yep. I want to save the environment by not. Okay, but like patch, like patches only last for so long, and I only use patch kits if I like have two flat tires during a ride, and then I can patch one of the ones that yeah, <laughs> that has a that has a hole and. For the listeners out there, it's you don't get flats all the time. No, you really don't. Again, back to what you invest in. I've noticed that if I buy like a slightly nicer tire than the bottom wrong value one, I get less flats. Um, mm-hmm. And so a bike shop can always, if you're like worried about getting flats, you'd be like, I just want, you know, a really tough tire and then they'll they'll suggest one for you. So as long as, and also like after you put on a lot of miles, the tires start wearing down just like on a vehicle. And so yeah. you need to get them replaced because they'll start producing flats for you. But in general, like I rarely get flats. Like I used to get flats all the time when I was doing it Ian style, but I think investing in, in better tires will help. So don't, I don't want you to think, even though we're focusing on flats, that as a bicyclist, you get flats all the time. Yeah, no, it's just the most likely thing yes, that can go it wrong. Happens, yeah. It happens. It um, happens. Um, and then the other thing that I didn't realize until after, so I had this patch kit, like this repair kit put together. And then one time I got a flat and I changed it out. And I'm like, wait, wait, there's no air in this new tire. I need a pump. It's, <laughs> so that was when I realized that I needed to buy a little portable yeah. pump that, to, to attach to my frame. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now that I have one, whenever I'm on a group ride, I am everybody's best friend because if anybody gets like a flat, yep. I'm the one that they have to come to mm-hmm. to pump it up again. <laughs> it's like having a first aid kit. It's like yeah. here. It's the bike first aid kit. And I would add to this packet of tools is also to have a bus pass or some bus money because if yeah. you're in, I think, mo- I don't want to say most cities, but in a lot of cities that I've been to, buses have bike racks now in front of their buses. So if you get a mm-hmm. flat, you could always just throw your bike on a bus or bring it onto the light rail. Yeah. And like anywhere that you are within biking distance of getting to like where you're trying to go, you're probably also within busing distance. So yes. Yeah. Um, and then I also just have like a little multi-tool that has, um, it looks like an, uh, you know, a pocket knife, but it folds out and it just has like, you know, different size Allen wrenches on it. Um, because most things on a bike, if you're going to have to like adjust them a little bit, 
uh, they take Allen wrenches, um, a Phillips head as well. Super helpful. Everybody should have yeah. a multi-tool. Very affordable. It's great. It's great to have on the road. And then there's a little bit of knowledge that you should have, of course, just how to do those basic repairs, how to change a tire, how to like, oh, my fenders are a little bit wonky and rubbing against the, the tire. How can I like, what do I need to, what tension do I need to adjust to, to move it into place? Um, and then also like learning how to recognize when you need to take it into the shop to do things. So like, I, yeah, I haven't, I probably could learn how to change a chain and like change a cassette because those are the two things that I have to take it in for the most often. Um, but I haven't I haven't gotten to the point where I feel like I need to do that at home. If you are somebody who is interested in learning the manual labor of bikes, there's this great book called Chain Breaker, and it started off as a zine decades ago at this point. And it's mm. just written from a very accessible standpoint, and it explains bikes um, through illustration and uh, using words as well. And that's kind of mine's all greasy and dirty because I often go to it if I don't. It's like, yeah, I'd like to know how to tighten up my brakes. And oftentimes with some of these repairs, it's all about having the specific tool. So like if you wanted to change your chain, um, no pun intended, you need a chain breaker. And you don't have that tool at home. Like no toolbox comes with a chain breaker. Or if your stem of your bike is like kind of wobbly, you need a specific uh, wrench that that is the size of a specific nut on our bikes, right? That only bike shops sell. So if you do go to bike shops, ask about open shop nights. And those are nights where they open up the shop and you can use their tools to kind of explore some aspects of your bike. Um, and I, that's how I learned how to do a lot of things. And then you don't have to invest in those tools unless you mm-hmm. get really into it. And then you can buy one. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long to learn how to fix just about everything on, on bikes. They're very simple machines. They are. And they've the technology has stayed the same since the 1890s. Yeah, Which is fascinating yeah. in terms of technology. Like, it's all the same. We have not innovated at all because it's it works. Yeah, I think most of the innovation probably has come from, like, new materials, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, lighter, lighter things to make this out of. But it's all the same shape still. Yep. Yeah. Related to the expense of all of this stuff, you want to protect your investment, right? Mm-hmm. So, um getting a good lock is definitely important. Um, the, the reason that I bought a new bike a year ago was because my old mountain bike got stolen. It was locked up and somebody just cut right through the, uh, the cable lock that I had. So, uh, I definitely, I'm, I'm a fan of folding locks now. Um, they're, they look a little weird. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that it's a lock when it's, uh, attached to my bike. Um, but it's, it, it basically like when you, unfold it and open it up it kind of looks like a chain you know because it makes a full circle um and but it's almost as solid and thick as like a u-lock which is kind of you know usually held up as like the gold standard for the the hardest locks to to get through um and so i think i think folding locks really like strike a good balance between like yeah the heart like the the security of a u-lock and the flexibility of a cable lock um I might change my tune, you know, if I if my current bike ever does get stolen, but <laughs> it hasn't yet. No, I think I've heard good things about those foldable locks. And mm-hmm. just to reiterate what Ian was saying, the 
cable locks are worthless. Like it's so easy to break through those. And so you are going to have to spend some money on a lock. But like he said, it's like protecting your investment. So keep that in mind as another important investment to make into your biking. But yeah, don't use a cable lock. It's like you're just you're just crossing your fingers at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And like one one thing that uh, I think people don't really take into consideration is like, how am I going to attach this lock to my bike right um you know with a u-lock yeah you can like it that you can mount it to the frame if you've got like a clip that that you know attaches to the frame um the the folding lock has like a little sleeve basically that it slots into Mm -hmm. uh and you know so then like they're not rattling around and and getting in the way uh while you're riding i having having stuff attached to your bike that like moves and slides I'm not a fan of because <laughs> then like weight's shifting and, you know, it can rub against your, your bike and like mess up the paint job and stuff. So um, I, yeah, I try to have things as like secured down as possible. Yeah. Batten down the hatches. But we could also, <laughs> don't you like when I was a dumb 22 year old, I used to get mm-hmm. a giant bike messenger bag and throw everything in my backpack, like my U-lock and my lights. Mm. And then, Mm -hmm. and my groceries, and then I developed, um, like, horrible shoulder problems. Surprise, surprise. So, (laughs) I switched to paneers. Are you a fan of paneers? I am, yes. This brings us very nicely into our next challenge, which is you cannot haul stuff while biking. It's hard to transport stuff around. Um, Yeah, a cargo rack and some paneers. Paneers, I don't know, it's French. Uh, They let you carry like a lot of stuff a lot more stuff than you would expect yes or if you're like me and you have a problem when you go to target and you buy too much crap it keeps you from <laughs> buying crap that you don't need you'll definitely learn to kind of judge how much stuff you can reasonably fit into the bags that you have you know once you've had them for a while and you and you uh, uh are familiar with them um but yeah just like simply having uh, a rear rack over your back tire uh with some panniers um you can even you know get like uh, a milk crate and like bungee cord it to the top of your of your rack and you know add some some extra uh cargo space that way um i've i recently took the plunge and got a front rack as well so now i can have like two sets of panniers and uh wow (laughs) and and yeah i did that mostly for bike touring totally but like it's gonna it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be useful here in the cities um especially since i like i have a cargo net on top of my front rack now um so like if i've got something really bulky or like awkwardly shaped then i can just like put it on top of that platform and put the cargo net over it yeah yeah and maybe this is particular to who I am, but I find it really enjoyable to as like a challenge to try to get the stuff that I have home on a bike, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, like even so if I run out of space, it's like, oh, it's kind of annoying, but I figure something out, you know, and yeah. like the other day I went out to lunch with a friend downtown and I stopped into Nordstrom Rack to like there were some shoes on clearance and I was like, oh, my God, I didn't bring my bags with me, but the checkout person was like, oh, here, use this plastic bag. It's really nice to bike with. I've biked home with it before. And caveat, yes, I should not be using more plastic bags when I have tons at home. But in that moment, I had an uh uh-oh moment. And she just hooked me up with this bag and I like tied it to my handlebar. And I got home and I was like, oh, cool. Like, look at I I figured this out by myself and this other person helped. And so it's kind of just a fun challenge as well. Mm -hmm. And 
especially in cities where people bike a lot, like they'll help people will help you out. People will help you figure it out. You know, I've never have you ever had to leave something because you couldn't get it home on a bike? Uh, yeah, one, like, not very often, but once or twice, yeah, I just realized, like, oh, wait, this isn't gonna work. Uh, let me not check out with this item. Oh, so you've put stuff back, like, before you, like, have purchased it? Yeah, yeah. I remember one time I bought kitty litter, and it was, like, a really heavy bag, (laughs) and I put Uh it on the back of my bike with a rack with a bungee cord, but, like, the bungee, like, didn't cut through the bag, but it kind of broke the, like, vacuum seal, and so it was just, like, annoying to get home, you know? It was, like, Mm -hmm. it would just sway back and forth, but I will say the most annoying times that I've been on my bike trying to get stuff home was when I insisted on putting it on my back with backpacks. Uh, It was uh like my back was about to like crumble and I was just too cool for school. It's like, I'm not going to get these bags and put them on my racks, man. Like that's nerdy. But now I've accepted it and it's. Yeah, no, getting everything, all the weight off of your body is essential. Like I don't even, I won't even bike around if I still have my keys in my pocket. Like I have to put that in my bag. Oh wow. Um I <laughs> You go all out. Yeah, yeah. I might be maybe I'm being a little bit too picky, but like, you know, it's I've gotten used to not having anything. Nothing's holding me down, man. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I like our dynamic here. You're like the going all out getting all the gear and I'm like the DIY punk <laughs> that messed up for a long time and is now seeing a chiropractor but can tell you of the things not to do to not be in that situation. I I did start off this like doing more DIY stuff. Like like when I first moved back into the cities and I became determined to never ever own a car. Um for my like my my first birthday in that situation, I just asked my parents. I was like, "Hey, you don't need to buy me anything, but like you guys still have that toddler trailer, right? That that you hook up to a bike and then you can like haul a couple of tiny children with you, right? Yes. And they're like, "Yeah." And I'm like, I want that so I can go grocery shopping. So even before I had like a cargo rack on my bike, that was my solution. Um, and trailers, oh my God, they hold tons of stuff. So, they're so fun. And people think there's children in them. And then they give you all this room because they don't want to hit children on a trailer. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> even on group rides, I've had a couple of times where like, like if I was planning on going grocery shopping after the group ride, I had a couple of people saying like, oh, who's in the trailer? I'm like... Uh, grocery bags yes (laughs) and they're cheap by the way like because there's so many generations of bike trailers now you can find one on craigslist for like 100 bucks so if you are i don't know what in what world you live in in which you would be hauling a lot of things you can do it with trailers my friend Lo, they haul like i don't even 50 pounds worth of pickles every week to the (laughs) farmer's market i mean it is wow if you want to nerd out on the cargo thing there's a whole world into cargo bikes like how to haul things like i have a friend in portland they've hauled a couch before bookshelves you know they have like a system like a cargo system but you can do it you can do Mm -hmm. it or you can just rent a truck it's fine nobody is gonna blame like (laughs) don't shame yourself if you're like i have to get a truck like yes that's why some of us have cars because sometimes it's just easier to move things we live in the united states gas is affordable it's okay if you need to move and some here, things. And here's the thing. Like, even if you own a car, you're probably going to encounter times where you cannot haul large things in your car, right? And you might have to rent a truck. That's true. Hey, bicyclists do that too. Yep. There you go. 
Another important tool, I would argue, is the existence of online shopping. It's very, very possible to get most of the things that you need uh, without actually having to go to a store. Um, And that applies not just to stuff that, like, is difficult, large and difficult to haul with a bike, but also just, you know, the fact that it reduces the number of trips that you have to take uh, can be very, very good. Now, of course, this does run us into some of the issues of uh, companies that operate warehouses who are not treating their workers very well, um, which is a a tricky situation to deal with all around. Um, But my view on the whole thing is that even the stuff that we're buying from stores had to go through warehouses before it got to the store. So the the risk of, you know, of, of workers along the way not being treated well is fairly equal in either case. But of course, when we know for sure that a particular company is treating their workers badly, yes, we must keep them accountable. Here is a fun challenge. Uh, I'll be sweaty and gross and looking like a conspicuous cyclist when I get to, you know, places. Um, this is, yeah, I had, I had, I really had to grapple with this uh, when I was figuring out, like, what my process was for bike commuting specifically, right? Because, you know, I get to work and I don't want to be in a classroom in front of all these kids in my, like, grungy, sweaty, uh, <laughs> like running clothes basically is what i bike in usually um so so how'd you deal with it how'd you deal with it so so yeah for one thing um like once you've been biking for a little while you like you know your, your body gets used to it and you're probably not going to be sweating as much um at you know at like a moderate pace than uh than when you first start off um but even so like it's always useful to carry an extra set of clothes with you um i i have kind of separated my wardrobe into like my grunge outfits that I can wear while riding and then my nicer outfits that I will change into when I get to a place. Um, so quite often, like, especially when I get to school, but also like, you know, if a lot of places where I go, I'll just like pop into the bathroom uh, right when I get there and just like kind of take a wet paper towel, wipe myself down. That's enough for me to feel a little bit more fresh, you know, and then I just go into like a toilet stall and, and change. Um, if you don't want to be carrying like, you know, panniers with you while you're walking around and, you know, look super conspicuous, uh, you can get baskets for your bike instead of panniers. And then you can just stick your normal like backpack uh, into the basket. Uh, and then carry that with you when you get off of your bike. So wait, time out. Why do people not want to be seen as a bicyclist when they're out and about? I know. What is I up know. with that? You and I are definitely not of that mindset, but I I understand. No, but like, tell me, like, because I I honestly don't understand. Like, what is the? Are people being discriminated against, or like, there's the attitude? I think a lot of it is about like the the bicyclist aesthetic is not like. It's not a it's not appropriate for all situations, right? So like yeah, all the bags that I have that can clip onto my bike, they look like I'm going on a camping trip, right? Mm-hmm. They're super like waterproof and um and you know, shiny black. Um and also like like carrying around a conventional backpack can be a lot more comfortable cuz a lot of times like panniers are not yeah, really built well. You can't like take them off and then go I, like do an activity with a friend or something like they're hard yeah. to haul around yeah yeah i would say okay so back to the 
conspicuous cyclist issue. Um, I'm going to move beyond that. I understand that some people want to look cute. And I just I'm sorry. Like, I'm just it's hard for me to subscribe to that because I fought for so long to unsubscribe from that, I guess, because Mm -hmm. it's and I'm it's good to hear, Ian, that you are concerned with how you look, because I think sometimes men are socialized to think that they can just show up sweaty and like, you know, (laughs) their shirts just full of sweat and they're it's just like fine. And women were just pressured in all these weird ways to not look like that you know and so we have extra pressure to not look like we just came off of a bike ride when we get somewhere i it's not like i look like crap when i show up i just care less i don't wear makeup um when i'm biking my hair has to look fine in a ponytail and if i take it out it's got to look like i'm not my hair is not fancy um i know people who have natural hair that are african-american they often have to braid their hair down or wear their hair in a way that like fits underneath the helmet Mm. um but also, like, with the clothing thing, as a woman, you cannot be thinking that you can wear, like, a business suit on a bike. Some people will argue that you can. That's fine. But when I started biking, I changed my ro- wardrobe a lot. Like, I just wear um, elastic everything. Like, jackets have to have a lot of shoulder room because my arm's out more. Um, women's oh, yeah. clothing are is made – I don't know if you know this, Ian, um, and I don't say that sarcastically, but it's made, like w- – it's not made for us to be athletic and mobile. And it's really annoying, especially with clothes that we might wear to the office. And so something that I would do when I was biking um, to the U, for example, is I would wear, let's say it's the winter time. I would wear like jeans and uh, like tights as like my second layer, but I would take the jeans off when I got to work and I'd put a skirt on over the tights. Ah, So I wasn't like fully changing. Um, Or I would get these really cool, they have these arm warmers that just go up on your arm so you can actually pull them out. Like, Mm -hmm. so I'd wear a cardigan and the sleeves and then I would just pull the sleeves out when I got to school. But I also get places earlier, which is good um, because you always want to be on time in America. But Mm -hmm. I would also get places early. So if, you know, with our work, if we're supposed to be on the clock at 8 a.m., I'm at my office by 7.30, kind of disrobing and, you know, just getting my stuff together. But I do that if I'm biking or not. Like, I just kind of like to get to my place early and, you know, discombobble and and do my thing. But with biking, you always kind of get, if especially if you need to kind of clean up a little bit, you just get there a little bit early. Yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention that that I bu- I budget like an extra 15 minutes on either side of my rides uh for exactly those reasons. And if people think that that is impossible or just like, "Oh, I don't want to spend that time." It's actually really nice to get somewhere and have some time to like because as you're getting ready, you're also just kind of processing what you're about to do and think, and it kind of sets you up instead of just like getting out of your car and entering into that space. You know, I I like that buffer time that I get. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I love, we haven't been, we've been talking a lot about the challenges, but also the time that we spend biking to these places is like really nice mental clarity time and thinking time. And, you know, we, I know we've been talking a lot about the traffic and lights and stuff, but it is, it's a very enjoyable thing. Otherwise we wouldn't be taking the time right now to explain all of these things right. for you. Cause like then goals, we want you to be biking more and we're trying to help you mm-hmm. um, kind of get through these challenges so you can enjoy it as much as possible. Yeah. When you, when you were talking about like different clothes that aren't built to be, you know, for you to be athletically like, you know, moving and stuff. Um, I definitely have not yet taken a ride, uh, to a place where I want to like wear my full suit. Uh, because like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I would be able to wear it 
while biking without messing it up you know like i don't that suit was hundreds of dollars and I don't want to like, you know, get, get the pants scuffed up on like the chain and then, Oh, it's got oil on it. And, you know, um, but also like, you know, un- like for, for most times when I'm like taking a button up shirt and some nice pants, right. I, I fold them up and I put them in my panniers. You can't do that with a full suit. Right. Right. You know, even when you're transporting it in a car, you're supposed to hang it up like back there in the, in the back seat with the little hooky thing. Uh, I don't have one of those on my bike. It's weird. I don't <laughs> so- either. Huh. So I have I have not figured out a solution for for that particular aspect yet. <laughs> I mean, one solution is that if you want to spend some money, they are making they fashion com- com- clothing companies are making more mobile looking um, suits like dress outfits, but it costs hmm. money. It's like right. So you can get dress pants that you can also bike in. Um, mm-hmm. but no, I don't think I'm going to be able to replicate my business suit just as much as you are. I did wear a business suit once in an interview and I had to fully change and mm. I had to very loosely fold the suit into a paneer. Like you could okay. do it, you could do it, but you couldn't pack it tight. You'd have to just very loosely place it in your, I would just take the bus. That's what I would do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I have done. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Like just take the bus. We have the ability to to have options so we're lucky that way so let's talk about uh everybody's favorite topic the weather the weather (laughs) so yeah when you're on a bike you are much much more exposed to the weather than if you're in a car um so no matter what the weather's going to be right you're definitely going to need to plan ahead much more uh than you would otherwise so you're going to be checking the forecast every morning or more often, right? The more often, the better um, to make sure that you've got everything with you that you're going to to need uh, for any of the weather that you expect to encounter. Uh, so let's go through those different types of weather. First, hot weather. I hate hot weather. I hate it. <laughs> So basically, I just dress like I'm going to go out for a run, right? So like some nice, light, quick dry clothes, um, probably some sunscreen because it's probably going to be sunny. Uh, Got my sunglasses on, of course. Um, By the way, I'm really proud of myself this summer. I have developed a tan line from my riding gloves. Nice. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Great accomplishment. And then, of course, water. Lots of water. Uh, definitely, definitely need to have enough water with you for yourself. I used to be a big dum-dum and I just had like my Nalgene in my pannier. And then Ooh. like whenever, yeah, like, and then if I stopped at like a red light and I knew that I had a couple minutes, I would like unzip, grab my water bottle, unscrew it, take a drink, screw it back on, put it back in. <laughs> I... And I was really strapped for time quite a few times. Like I, I would barely get the water bottle back into the pannier and then I like couldn't even zip it back up by the time it was time to go. Um, I finally bit the bullet and got a water bottle cage uh, for my for my frame. And now I can just like grab the water bottle from down below me, lift it up, squeeze some water into my mouth and put it back onto the onto the frame. And it has changed my life. <laughs> you can even do it while you're biking. Like, yeah, you don't even uh-huh. have to stop. Like. You can get really good at biking and drink water. I need that. I don't, yeah. When I don't have a bike or a water holder on, like, it's a problem. 
cold weather. So Ooh, I like doing this. Yeah, and it's one that a lot of people are like nervous about. Um, so layers are very important. Dress like you're gonna go downhill skiing, basically. But that means I have not gone downhill skiing. Probably the same with skiing. You dress lighter than you think you're gonna need to because you get yep. warm when you bike. I'm and people are like, no way. Yes, way. Like I used to bike with a winter coat and I would get so hot, like so mm-hmm. hot, like within a couple minutes. So it's more about getting a windbreaker type of coat um, and layers than it is about getting a big fluffy coat on because you're going to start sweating because you're doing physical activity. Um, for me, it's about everybody's different. But for me, it was about always about getting my extremities really well covered. So getting really, really warm mittens or gloves and really warm mm-hmm. boots and wearing wool socks is very important because your extremities don't warm up the same way that your core does in the winter. So just be prepared to be warmer than you think you're going to be. Yeah. yeah. And dress in layers just I, in case you need to shed one. Yeah. I, I was like amazed when I discovered that, okay, sweatshirt, kind of warm, wearing uh, a rain jacket over my t-shirt, kind of warm. But if I put a sweatshirt and then the rain jacket on at the same time, that's like five times as warm mm-hmm. as either of them by themselves. Yep. So yeah, like most of the winter, I, I don't even own a proper like winter jacket anymore because most of the winter uh, I'm just doing like, yeah, sweatshirt, rain jacket, boom. And then like when it gets down to like minus 30 degrees, uh, I did go and buy a like down filled shell that I can stick in between those two layers mm-hmm. uh, for for added extra warmth. What about your um, face though when it's negative thirty? Balaclava, yeah. Um, and I also have like a, a a scarf that I wrap around to to get my neck and my lower chin. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the square scarves because you can turn them into triangles and they cover a lot more of your neck and your face than like okay. a long skinny scarf does. So people mm-hmm. could try those out too. And goggles. Go- if you wear goggles, I swear you can bike in any temperature. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. Last winter, I was rocking my sunglasses for most of the time. Uh, but I did encounter quite a few times where like the my my glasses were uh fogging up and Mm -hmm, then freezing mm -hmm. and you know it's so then i would have to like like at every red light i would have to like take them off rub them to get all of the frost off and then like put them back on real quick so i think i'm gonna invest in some ski goggles so frustrating when that happens (laughs) yeah you need goggles because it's like constant you have to oh winter winter it's so fun (laughs) um i've also seen people with bar mitts which are like you know, it's a glove that goes on top of your glove, but it's always attached to your handlebars. So oh, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, I've never tried them, um, but I, I hear great things about them. Um, for snow and ice, which goes along with cold weather, uh, studded tires. That's basically all that you need. In you know, mm-hmm. above and beyond what you already have, uh, is just have some studded tires that you put on for the for the winter season, um, and then also I would say like lowering the pressure in your tires a little bit um, will give you extra traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and like I throughout the winter, there were many days where I saw like cars having trouble like getting through the snow, or like they would get to a stop sign and they'd like try to stop, but then they'd slide into the intersection because they got too much momentum. And here I am on my studded tires, just doop 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 doo do, having a good time. I'm in complete control because I've got so much traction. Yeah. 
wonderful. And I will say, if you can't afford studded tires, um, you could get one just in the front, I hear, is better than if you oh. need to get just one. Um, check my math on that one. But then also, you can get knobby tires. Like, they're often called cross tires. So people who do cross racing ask somebody okay. else about that. But there's like knobby tires. So in between the slick tires with a little bit of tread, these are like extra tready. That's what I have because um, I've just never invested in studded tires. But if you can, if you have the money and you want to invest in them, I hear they're great. Uh, and then rain. So... Oh. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, this I is agree. my worst. This I... is the worst. Rain and wind. Wind might be the worst mm. because, like, mm-hmm. there's you can't wear any equipment. I mean, you just gotta like fight through it. But rain, yep. I think, is like my second least favorite thing to ride in. Yeah. Um, I wrote down here: dress like you're going to go hiking near Vancouver. Uh, so yeah, rain jacket, rain pants, waterproof boots. Um, I. I'm very, very, very happy. Like, okay, when I say rain jacket, I'm not talking like go to Target no, and go, nope. you know, peruse around. Nope. No, go to go to somewhere like REI where they will really be able to tell you like yeah. what's what and find a good rain jacket. Um, they even they make rain jackets now that have like hoods that are large enough to go over your helmet. Oh, that's cool. But I don't think that's necessary. I just put my hood on and then put my helmet on over the hood. Well, there you and go. I don't care. I don't care that the helmet's getting wet because, like, my head right. is underneath the hood. So, whatever. Yeah, yeah, the department store windbreakers, too, are like, uh, they say they're water resistant. They're not. Like, you actually do have to invest in a good rain jacket mm-hmm. um, and rain pants. And with boots, they also make uh, booties, like, that you can put over your shoes, which are really cool. They're neo- They're oh. made from neoprene. And they work good in the winter and for rain. If I had to go somewhere and it was raining out, I probably would, like... At this point, wear some boots and then have some canvas shoes in my bag. You know, something that isn't too heavy mm-hmm. to change into when I get there. Because you don't want to be wearing wet shoes. That's very uncomfortable. Yeah, no. I've also, I've had days where it's raining, but like it's warm. And so I just go, I'm just going to get wet. It's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that only really works if you're on your way home, home yep. or somewhere where it's like you can just be wet. Yeah. And then... Because yeah. it is fun. It is fun if it's not too cold out to ride in the rain. Yeah. Um, fenders are something that oh, I yeah. did not realize how important they are until I had them. Um, I used to get to work, like, even on day. So here's the thing about fenders, right? They don't just protect you on, like, super rainy days. They also protect you on days when, like, when there's not rain coming down, but the ground is wet, right? If the ground is wet at all your tires are going to be kicking up a lot of like little droplets of water that have grit and grime in them. And so like I used to have days where I would get to work and I looked like I just had a bunch of freckles on my face because like <laughs> just oh, I just had dirt. so much dirt. Yeah. Um, but with fenders, it's no longer a problem. Um, they also help to not get as much like water into your panniers because um, it's not all being kicked up there. And fenders, you can do either you can get them attached to your fr- like really nice ones that like almost run the full gamut of your wheel or at least half of your wheel. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can get ones that attach to your bike that are like very affordable, both front and back. Um, they don't work as well, yeah. but they they really do the job. I mean, they do the job. Um, yeah, they're basically like splash guards at that point. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's all I have. No, I think one of my bikes came with fenders. Otherwise, they're a 
God, good luck installing those things. Those are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just had the bike shop install those. Um, and then also, yeah, like uh, speaking of panniers, uh, you should definitely have ones that are like nice and waterproof. Um, or what I did before I had like really nice waterproof ones was I just had like plastic bags with me all the time that were just I just rolled them up and put them in the bottom of my panniers. And then if it was getting a little wet out, then I would just like take those out wrap everything in plastic bags and put them back into my panniers. And that worked pretty well. So the last thing that I hear from people is uh, that they don't have time to bike somewhere or it's too far, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's that's definitely a legitimate concern uh, sometimes, but not as often... I would say as as what people initially think it's going to be. Um, like for example, with my daily commute, I feel like I'm actually saving a little bit of time because if I was commuting by car, then in order to get like you know some nice cardio into my day, I would be going running for like an hour for fitness, and and you know and and that would be more time than it takes for me to bike back and forth. Um, yeah, the, the the Twin Cities though can be a very large area and sometimes there's like you know people who live way over in the west metro who invite me to things and i'm like i can't i don't really have time to get out there so it like it does shrink my circle of like what i'm willing to go to um but that's that's definitely a trade-off that i'm willing to make and that's a trade-off that's going to exist no matter what you do like you know if i own a car i, I can't go as far as if i owned a private jet Love that so like, analogy. Excellent. <laughs> like, there's there's always something better, right? <laughs> right. And I and I echo what you're saying. Like, to my commute out to my job in Coon Rapids, which is like a 30-minute car drive, it would take mm. me an hour and a half to bike there to school. And I'm just going to tell you when I teach at 8 a.m., I'm not – I just am not going to leave at 6 a.m. to like bike there i could right. take the bus um and the reason why i would take the bus is then i have time to do some grading or some work on the bus but it's not yeah. always feasible but i think i don't i haven't done a scientific experiment on this but i swear that when i was biking more like to my job and stuff i was on time more and i felt like i had more time time is just different mm. when you're biking um and I feel like when you have a car, when you're using a car a lot, you're always trying to beat the clock because it's the quote unquote fastest way to get somewhere, you know? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, it only takes me 20 minutes to get there, but you're not factoring in packing up your car, or getting your stuff together. But when you're biking, you're always thinking about all that stuff. So mm -hmm. it's actually way more stress. I'm sorry. It is very stressful to drive. Um, I know people have some fears about biking, but once you're comfortable with biking, there's, there's nothing more relaxing than biking. Until somebody tries to pull out in front of you and then for like, <laughs> um, but in general, like if you would, you know, watch our blood pressure and our heart rate and stuff like we are calm as cucumbers, but like driving in traffic, forget it. Like it's just not the trade off. The time trade off is not worth it sometimes um, to save you know, yeah. time, quote unquote time in a car. It's like I'd rather take an hour to bike than sit in traffic for 30 minutes. And you, you also just made me think of something that like, um, if, if I do make a miscalculation and realize like, oh, no, I don't have enough time to bike to the place that I'm going. Well, I still have time to like call a lift and get a ride, you know, right. in a car. That's a good point. Whereas yep. if I make a miscalculation and I was assuming that I was going to be going in a car, there's no there's, there's nothing no I can do. There's yep. no faster way to get there. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, if you do find you're, that you're regularly going to things that like take too long to bike to, uh, you, you know, you maybe you want to reevaluate why it is that you live so far from them, right? Like when when we were looking at houses to buy, you know, we were kind of looking at like places that had a, a good amount of transit available, but also like areas that weren't too far away from my work to be able to bike to, um, but also weren't too far away from like downtown Minneapolis, because as it turns out, there are a lot of things that go on in downtown Minneapolis that I want to go to. So yeah, um, it's, I've, I've let biking dictate a lot of things in my life. <laughs> and that's fine. I think for the better. Yeah, yeah. I and agree. I, when I didn't own a car for the first four or five years that I lived in Minneapolis, if people, the, I don't mean to sound, okay, this is going to sound conceited, but like if I didn't want to bike to a movie and people invited me to a movie, like I'd get a ride. We'd carpool, mm. you know? So sometimes, mm-hmm. like if you're going out to your friend's house on the West End, then you just ask somebody for a ride instead of you lose your independence that way. But, you know, there's ways to get out out to these places um and people will come grab you if they want to see you or they can come to you man it's fine you're just saving the planet and being healthy and shit they can they can meet you halfway and then yeah as as for like the things being too far away um i feel like once you've been biking on a regular basis for a while you'll be able to like cruise at a comfortable pace for a really really long time uh as long as you bring enough snacks right even even the most fit of us will uh lose a lot of energy if we if we don't have uh, some good granola bars to munch on uh during the ride that should be in your bike first aid kit then too it's like a patch kit and some snacks i've i've basically gotten to the point where like if as long as i can budget enough time to bike on a particular trip then that's how I'm going to get there, no matter how far it is, right? Um, earlier earlier this summer, you know, like, uh, my wife's family was getting together out in Kadat, Wisconsin to go to Rockfest, and, uh, and we're just, like, hanging out in a cabin, and so we wanted to go along. And I was like, you know, I think I'll spend, like, five days biking to get out there, uh, which brings us nicely to bike touring. That sounds like a fun trip. Yeah, it was. It was. And that was like my first real serious like yeah, bike tour. Uh so a nice a nice little five day five day trek. Um with camping, you camped? Yep, yep. So so first day was like uh I took the Gateway State Trail out uh to Stillwater and then across the thirty six bridge to to get to Willow River State Park. Um Spent a, a whole day there, so two nights, uh, just to you know be able to experience the park and, and relax a little bit, and then uh, took some like county roads and state highways and stuff over to um, Menominee. Uh, there's a, there's a little uh, privately owned campground just south of there, and then uh, there's some state trails, bike trails that go from there up to the Eau Claire area, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then stayed a night there, uh, and then I was. Uh, on some county roads again uh just briefly for like an hour the next morning to get to um to get to the cabin so that's a nice trip. how are the bugs when you were camping surprisingly not bad at I'm all so happy. i had a lot i brought so much bug spray with me and i was like yeah willow river it's right next to like a creek it's they're gonna be terrible um but i don't know i think the state park must do a lot of spraying or something because did not get bitten hardly at all Oh man i didn't mosquitoes weren't a huge issue for me when i went bike on my bike trip last 
summer. So last summer I did a two week trip like through the Driftless area of Wisconsin. So it's like Viroqua, Spring Green, just kind of middle of Wisconsin. Very beautiful. But the gnats were horrendous, which I guess is a, a bigger issue in Wisconsin oh, yeah. than Minnesota. And my friend who lives in a in Viroqua, Wisconsin, which is a rural town, she told me about this medicine. Okay, so it's like and it's like minty menthol-y medicine for horses to keep gnats away from them, but it's it's not very strong and so humans can use it too, but they only huh. sell it in rural areas where like you would have horses. And it's like the only <laughs> thing that keeps gnat that kept gnats out of my face. Um, otherwise, I was like, "That's some serious insider baseball, right there." That's why I'm sharing it on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it's because the bugs were, as you know about me, I don't love mosquitoes, but the gnats were like really frustrating when we were camping. Um, such as life in the Midwest uh, in the summer. Yeah, but um, that was like the point of me bringing that up is that that was the worst part of it. Like everything else went mm. so well. I was so scared that I wasn't going to be able to handle it. My body would fall apart. But man, I, I did it and you did it. Yep. Yeah. Um, How many miles did you bike each day on that five day trip? Uh, it was between like, I think the shortest day was like 50 kilometers and then the longest was like 80. Your brain only works in kilometers. Um, yeah, since I, since I set like Google maps to kilometers and Strava to kilometers. Yeah. I just live in a metric world. I now. love that. Um, I set my, one of my thermostats to Celsius and I still don't understand mm. it. So <laughs> good for you. And America's so dumb. So that's between like 30 miles yeah. and 50 That's a miles. great, yeah, that's yeah. what we did. We did like 30, we kept it real easy, you know, like 30, mm -hmm. 35. And that at that point it's, it seems like a lot, but your body really adapts and did you get your bike fit before you went on your trip? Uh, what do you mean by like, fit? Like, like make sure adjusted to my body? Yeah. Uh, no, because I felt like you know, as since I'm since I've been biking every day for basically the last year, yeah. like if if something was off, I would have noticed True. it already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I did at the at the end of it. Uh, I did notice that like my right knee was kind of twinging a little yeah. bit like there's a there was an area just above and to the right of my kneecap that was like uh kind of popping a little bit so um i've been i've been uh tending to that the way that i would to getting like runner's mm -hmm. knee back when i was in cross country mm -hmm. um so yeah well that's good yeah i was i have many more ailments because of my days riding fixed gear my knees are a mess too but oh they it ended up being okay um and really, it was more about just general, like, keeping my core engaged, which is a, a new thing that I'm mm. sharing with people is that, like, if my shoulders start to hurt or my knees, like, usually I'm not using my core or my, like, hip strength enough that I'm relying mm. on other parts of my body. Um, and so if I would, like, engage my core, I probably have a weaker core than you because I've never been a runner. But if I would just engage my core while I was riding, I could actually, like, feel some of that pain get lifted. So... You know, knowing, and I know this stuff because I've been going to yoga and I have a yoga teacher that kind of teaches me these weird things about my body. But, you know, that was the worst of it. You know, I thought, oh, I'm going to get, you know, my knees are going to crank out and I won't be able to. But we just kept it easy. 30, 35 miles a day rested. And you have to be done. But like, how late did you drive biking during the day? Uh, The first day when we got, we left the Twin Cities much, much later than we had planned on. Uh, We got there at like 5 or 6 p.m., um and that was also like 
uh, a pretty tough day because after we after we left Stillwater and came across into Wisconsin, oh, turns out Western Wisconsin is a lot hillier mm-hmm. than the Gateway State Trail. So like the tail end of our of our trek for that day was um yeah, lots of hills. Yeah. And so we we ended up we ended up having to walk up a few of those hills. I've heard about those hills um, like right on the western edge. So Yeah, yeah. And I I would like to say though that like hills look way, way worse when you're far away from yeah. them. Like, you know, you crest one hill and you look at the next hill and you're like, that's super steep and super tall. But then you get to the bottom of it and you're like, oh, that's actually a pretty like reasonable grade and not not too far. It is a okay. weird optical illusion. Yeah. But it's also okay, especially if you're bike touring and you have a lot of stuff with you. If you need mm-hmm. to walk up a couple of hills, like nobody's looking, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's something fine. that I ran into, which is an interesting problem if you're biking with other people, is my partner who I was riding with, his bike chain setup is like allows his bike to get spinnier than mine, if that makes sense, without using jargon. So he can like go into a lower gear. Um, okay. or like my pedaling, um, was staying a lot harder than his could go. And so because his was set up basically to carry more, he had like a long haul, haul trucker surly. So it's meant to carry a lot of yeah. weight. So they make it really spinny. Um, he was like beating me up these hills and I would just get really frustrated because I was like at my lowest gear possible and I was still like struggling. Um, and yeah. so if you're ever riding with other people and you're like, how are they speeding up this hill? Like they might just have a whole different setup than you. Um, it's, it's really yeah. not your, yeah. so I thought that was interesting, like biking with another person. Like if you have a, t- if you have a different setup or a different kind of bike that it can really impact, um, getting up hills. But anyways, they're worse than they seem. Yeah. And it's really awesome to like get up a hill and be like, I did it. <laughs> Take that hill. Yep. Yep. Um, how how did you find the like traffic out there? Because it is a very, very different experience than like riding in the cities. Yeah, I was really worried about like trucks not seeing me or people going by too fast and clipping me because like um they say there's this like, oh, God, there's this mass media theory called cultivation effect where like you think something is scary because that's what you see on TV. Right. So all the stories mm-hmm. that I hear about people biking in the country or in rural areas, it's them getting killed by getting hit by a car. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's how I'm, I'm just going to die. But like it was fine. Like the shoulders were a lot wider on the roads than I thought they were. And people were giving us lots of room. And I didn't feel I didn't feel as scared by the traffic as I like made it up in my mind that it was going to be. Um, we only caught one trucker on their phone because we would always oh. try to get them to honk. You know, when you like you like pull your arm up uh, and down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're just being goofy. And most of them would honk or at least wave if they didn't want to honk. But like the one the reason we knew he was on the phone, he's like, Why isn't he honking or doing anything? And then he passed us. I was like, Oh yeah, he's on his phone. So that's nice. Um it was fine. How was the traffic with you? Um, pretty good. Yeah. So luckily the literally the day before we left, uh, I managed to meet Bill Lindeke in person for the first time. And um and he told me like, "Oh, you're going on a trip into Wisconsin. Hey, did you know that the their Department of Transportation has like a county by county bike maps of you know that that like collates all of these different county roads and state highways and stuff and like rates them by how large the shoulder is, how much traffic there is, and stuff like that. Uh, and so we wow. used kind of a combination of that 
and Google Maps to kind of figure out like, okay, what what is going to be the best route for us? Um, and so luckily, yeah, we were, we were generally on lower traffic roads that had nice wide shoulders. Um, so it wasn't too harrowing. We did we did get like saw a lot of people who like saw us and just had like really wide eyes like what there are cyclists out here <laughs> yeah right i think it was more like people were waving at us because they're like it's like we're a spectacle yeah. so they really were like paying attention um mm-hmm. we met some really cool amish people on our did you run into any amish people we did not we definitely went through some towns where i was like looking around i'm like I, this feels like an amish town the the sign when we came in was in german and i feel like this is probably yeah um and they, they, oh my gosh, there's some really cute yes. farms out there that you mm-hmm. never get to see when you're on an interstate. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like bike touring is so beautiful because you get to see parts of the country that you normally wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. And it was cool. So the reason I asked about the Amish people is because because they don't have cars or anything. They were biking. Yeah. So we ran into some people biking down to a river or to a lake to go swimming and they helped us find our campsite and they were like super sweet. And nice. Um, so yeah, like when do you get to hang out with Amish people if you're not Amish? Like they're just chilling. And another reason why I just love biking is the the people that you meet on your journeys. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I was going to ask you about the farms too because the farms were like so cute and all the animals and mm-hmm. it's just wonderful. Yeah, and like I like my trip, we were we were camping pretty much the whole time. Um, you know, and and like went into to like you know every once in a while stopped at an Aldi to buy more groceries or whatever. Um. And, but you can definitely do it like, you know, you can stay at hotels and eat at restaurants if you want to. Mm-hmm. Like, bike, tour- bike touring can be whatever beast you want it to be. Yep. Um, I've, I'm much more comfortable with the, with the camping side of things and I'm very price sensitive. So I was like, we're going to, we're going to shop at grocery stores. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to, ca- and I was really worried about camping as a city girl and somebody who grew up in the suburbs. Like, there was no camping in my life when I was a child. So I was really nervous about camping too, but it's chill. Like, Thankfully, my partner had the tents and like had like little sleep packs. But I think the whole thing about bike touring is it's not as whatever you think it's going to be. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. as scary. It's not as nerve wracking. It kind of works out. And yeah, we would go through these small towns. I loved sm- stopping in small towns and just eating at their like little cafe, you know, where we'd stop in at a food co-op or we we just kind of planned it where we we're always going through these small towns. Um, and so I was worried about food and water myself, but... There's just, you know, you have to kind of map some stuff out, as Ian was saying. Um, And I think in the areas that we were bike touring, there's not vast lands of, like, nothingness. Whereas, like, if you go into the south, there are some parts where, like, you will not, Uh, you will not see people for a very, very long time. But mm -hmm. um, we, I, we were fine with water. Obviously, we had a lot more water bottles than I would have when I'm just commuting and always had snacks, you know, so if, you know, we didn't run into a grocery store or anything, we'd had food to survive on. But um, we did really well with that as well, getting food and... We, We overestimated how much we were going to eat. And um, I ended up like not grocery shopping the second time that the second stop that we were planning on because we st- we still had so much food left over. Uh, so yeah, it was probably carrying more weight than uh, was necessary, but you know it worked out. 
Yeah, I mean, better than not having enough food. Definitely, yeah. And here's the thing about, like, having a lot of weight. I thought that it was going to slow me down a Mm -hmm. bunch. But, like, as long as we had flat terrain, I was cruising at, like, the same, like, 25, 30 kilometers an hour that I usually do. It just takes me longer to get up to speed, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, we weren't going that much slower either. I mean, we weren't trying to race each other, but I didn't feel like the weight brought me down either. Yeah, it definitely changes the handling when you've got, yeah. especially when you've got like a lot of weight on the front. Yeah. Uh, uh, like it, it's going to be feel super sluggish. Oh, yeah. You feel like you can ride forever. It's like when they do training in sports and they like have you wear weights like on your body uh, and then you take uh-huh. the weights off and then you can like run like a, I don't know, like a super fast Olympic runner. I felt the same way when I got back from tour. I was like, oh, my gosh, how fast I can go now without all my weight. But it was it was fine speed wise. Yeah. yeah. Just take it easy. Have fun. What Ian said. Make yeah. touring what you want it to be. Don't try to fit it into some kind of ideal. I have definitely got the bug now. Like, um, Isn't it fun? A I mine, know. My, a friend of mine took me on a little car trip up to like the North Shore and we went to Eagle Mountain and stuff. And immediately I was like, I'm going to bike all the way around Lake Superior. Did you? That's what I want to do. Did you do it then or later? No, 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 no. Because that's that's going to be like a whole 36 okay. day, you know, like trip. Um, I wasn't sure. Maybe you're so, like, peace out, friend. I'm out. I'm doing this. Uh, okay, so now let's just finish off with a few things that, yes, are challenges that uh, I haven't figured out solutions to. Um, so first off, you can't really just leave panniers with your bike and assume that everything will be in them when you get back, um, which is very different than a car because a car is like its own little secure enclave and you can leave stuff in there and it probably won't get broken into. Um, I've whereas like I've had a pannier yeah. that's been empty and they've stolen it. People have stolen it. Wow. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> you know, I have... So what I have now is I have my cheap panniers that if I do need to leave a pannier on my bike and it gets stolen, I'm not going to be upset about it. Like mm. I wouldn't have my Ortlieb panniers empty. Right. Um, but yeah, that is a really annoying thing. I have thought about the fact that like I I could, you know, similar to how I uh, thread my lock through my helmet, I could also thread my lock through like, you know, the handle. On yeah, the, the I've panier. I've done that before too if I, yeah. if I thought that it was going to get taken. Speaking of taking stuff in with me, uh, I have encountered multiple occasions where, like, the fact that I always carry water and snacks with me um, does not mesh well with, like, places like um, U of M uh, sports stadiums where they, like, have contracts with the uh, uh, food vendor. And they're like, you can't bring any food or water or drinks or anything into this place. And I'm like, but I... I got nowhere to put this. What am I supposed to do? Stupid exploitative capitalism. Yeah, I think this is, and I think on top of that, it's that our country, like the norms, just assume that everybody has a car, right? So let's say I work downtown Mm -hmm. and then I want to go see the Timberwolves or the Lynx at Target Center when I'm off work, right? Well, I have my backpack with my laptop in it. I can't bring that in, right? So what do you want me to do? Put it in your car. Oh, yeah, because they have a thing against backpacks in general, right? Yeah, and they're like, put it in your car. I don't have a car. Well, you can't Mm -hmm. bring it in here. 
but I, but like, there's literally no place for me t- to put this, right? So everybody operates as if we have a pl- like our car to put things back in. Um, and so for a while, I don't, I haven't tested this theory yet at the new Target Center, but when they, when it was the old Target Center, they had a bag check, and they don't, they don't have that any, they didn't have that anymore. Mm. The last time that I brought a backpack in, and I had to leave it at an office, and thankfully because I was at a Lynx game, they were like way more chill because it's a WNBA but when it's the NBA or like godforsaken going to like a Vikings game or something like forget it you know and so it's really hard to be a commuter and like get around throughout the day on your bike and then have to go into like a hyper capitalistic building in which nothing is allowed and it doesn't work with being a bicyclist, right? Because you have all your stuff and they won't let you bring yeah. it in. Or even a transit user. Right. Any Anything that isn't a car, right? Being a pedestrian um, or a transit user, like you go run an errand and then you're going to go to the game. Well, no, you can't because you can't bring in that bag because it's not see-through. Like I cl- I'm shopping like or like this is my life. Like this is what I'm doing. I don't have a car to leave things in. Um, and that stuff just bothers me so, so much. Like at First Avenue, if you go see a show there, they have a bag check. So if you bring in something that you're not supposed to have, they just check it for you. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. like at some clubs that I've gone into, they have been nice enough to see that it's just like my bike stuff. Like I'm not being uh, like obnoxious with what I'm trying to bring in. It's just my stuff. Um, and they've let mm-hmm. me check it for free. But I think... Just the un- the assumption that we all have a car to store stuff in is like it's so frustrating when your life isn't like that. And like the wild thing about this to me is that like you'd think that this is a solution that this is a problem that that capitalism itself would be like all over because hey, if you just have like lockers that I have to pay you know, a few quarters to use for a couple hours, right. then yeah, I'm probably going, I'll, I will be willing to pay that money to do that. I'd love a but locker. No, they don't. Do I don't want to haul yeah. my, I don't want to haul my crap around. Like, yeah, give me a locker, but no, they have lockers at the mall. That's, I guess that's a, a piece of infrastructure that you don't typically hear talked about as like, you know, a bike friendly aspect. But I think maybe that's something that we need to start pushing for is like more lockers in downtown areas and stuff like that. Or just understanding that people come with things that like we're not bringing in knives. You know, we're not bringing in a six pack of beer. (laughs) We're just bringing like they've often thought my light, my front light was mace. They're like, can you turn that on? I'm like, are you kidding me? You've never seen a bike lock. Here you go. Um, I think it's just and now I'm thinking about New York City. I haven't lived there um, because everybody in New York City takes the subway or I know Lyft is popular now in Uber, but like there's a lot of bicyclists and a lot of people that use the subway. Right. So like, I'm Mm -hmm. curious how their public spaces work. Like if they're a little bit more understanding, if it's like a cultural thing, um, because I don't know how to solve this problem because I get angry about it. And then it's such a foreign concept to the people that you're complaining to that they don't even they have like no idea. They're like, yeah, we hear you, but like we have no solution. So I think that that is a really, really uh, expansive overview of, uh, of some of the things that you need to do in order to, uh, to bike every day. Uh, Melody, where can people find you on the internet? My website is phmelody, M-E-L-O-D-Y dot com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MLH underscore A-R-C-C. And you can shoot me an email at MLH 
rw24 at gmail.com. You can call me. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah. what's your GeoCities? Uh, Dude, I had one a long time ago for a band that I loved, and I can't remember the, I wish I could remember the address now. Uh, and I am Ian Arbuck. You can find me on Twitter as Ian Arbuck, and that's mostly where I hang out. Um, this has been an episode of The Extra Dimension, which is released under a Creative Commons attribution license, so feel free to use any part of this episode as much as you see fit as long as you link back to the original page which again is the nexus.tv slash ted 45 if you want to discuss this episode with other listeners uh please go to our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash the nexus tv and if you are willing and able to help support the nexus as we continue to make technology focused podcasts uh, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash TV. On next month's episode of The Extra Dimension, Lily Byer and I will be trading phones for a week. Uh, I have been a lifelong Android user, and she has always had an iPhone. So we're going to try seeing what uh, what life is like on, on the other other side of that ecosystem border so if you have any uh, thoughts or advice or anything for either of us um, before we do that little experiment uh, get in contact with us um, you can email us at uh, the nexus tv at gmail.com until next time have a good one The Nexus, the Nexus, the Nexus TV podcasts from, from the, the technological, technological convergence. convergence. We're presented with so many choices in our lives. How do we make sure we're making sound decisions? By getting a second opinion from an informed source, of course. Lucky for you, the hosts from across the Nexus use lots of hardware, software, and media and analyze them on our show, Second Opinion. From reviewing the latest phones and laptops to pitting apps against each other, we've got you covered. Find us on our website, thenexus.tv, or by searching for Second Opinion Reviews in your favorite podcast player.